Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. You are listening to Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and on the web at weru.org. Stay tuned. Boat Talk is coming right up. Good morning, good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month. Time for Boat Talk here at 10 o'clock with... uh, your busty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, Boat Talk is a, a call-in show for people contemplating things naval, and uh, we're also celebrating uh, what the time of the year that sailors and farmers both are glad to be done bailing. Oh, hey, that's a good little pun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, there you go. You're bailing, bailing. Got it. Excellent. <laughs> um. We have uh, a few local items of interest, and then we're going to give you uh, doing some uh, some tall talking, I guess. Yeah, we're going to talk um, to Andros Tipagoras this morning, we hope, and uh, he's fixing a schooner down on the hard down in Rockland, but we'll get him on the phone for a little bit, and, and I run into him this summer. He built a new main mast for the schooner Bowden down to Maine Maritime Academy. Yeah. And, it's a uh, long piece of wood. Pretty cool job, too. Uh, a lot of wood, a lot of glue, uh, you know, careful arrangement, and, and we'll talk to him about that. But we'll chit-chat about a couple other things for a minute here, including I remember our last boat talk, we had uh, Diver Ed in here and Captain Evil Edna. That's right. Yes. And then we went for a boat ride with him uh, next weekend on the Starfish Enterprise with about, what, 50 odd of our own uh, uh, yeah, good friends. 50, and, 60 people on yeah, board. And, uh, Mostly odd, yes. Yeah, kind of. So anyway, uh, you know, talk about the uh, uh, Starfish Enterprise Boat Talk cruise for a minute. We need to. Okay, you want me to explain what we did? Yeah. For people who... Uh, who missed the I trip. think you best should. Uh, okay. <laughs> Perhaps yeah. only you could. Uh, well, yeah, and actually I'm threatening to do it again next year, too. Oh, dear. Uh, yep. <laughs> um, the, uh, the background is the Soames Sound, America's, uh, some people call it America's only East Coast fjord, has been downgraded by the Maine Geological Service, Geological... Um, the state government organization, whatever they are, the service, I believe it's called. Yeah, those guys. Those guys, yeah. Government. Those those hard rockers. Yeah. Um, they uh, say that it's no longer a fjord um, for two reasons. One, that it has some of the shoreline along the Somme Sound is not steep enough to be uh, a, a true fjord. And the other reason is that the, uh, the bottom of a true fjord has to be deep enough to have uh, – uh, a, um, anoxic sediment, they call it, which means a, a dead zone, a, a no a mud with no oxygen in it, because it's they're so deep and uh, so sound. They could find no anoxic. We've sediment. got good mud. Yeah, we got good mud. Yeah, yeah. healthy mud. So um, the 
uh, shallow shoreline question is debatable. There are certain uh, fjords in Scandinavia that also have some shallow areas, low sloping areas along them too. So that's questionable. But the uh, dead zone, we couldn't really um, argue that one because we could find no dead zone. So we the it's also 150 feet underwater. Yeah, that's the uh, deep spot there. Right, 150 feet off of Valley Cove. We decided to make a dead zone there so that we could still continue calling it a fjord. And the way we made the dead zone is to have our friends at Freshwater Stone just down the road here in, in, in East Orland make a, a, a stone plaque that said at the top of it, Long Live the Grateful Dead. And we had uh, people sign <laughs> up to have their names added to the plaque too so that when uh, we went out to that 150-foot foot area, we threw... Uh, the plaque overboard to to create a, a dead zone, and it was fun because there were four kids on board too, and they were the actual uh, ones who pushed it over to with great enthusiasm. Yep, and there's even Latin on the plaque. That's how high class this effort was, and oh, that's as right. uh, much many people remarked, that's a really nice hunk of granite. Uh, Extraordinarily <laughs> nicely etched. Why are we pushing it off into the water? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a very nice job. That Do we know that it landed uh, butt end face down and up, face uh, up? You know, uh, yeah, we'll have to Let's have that checked. Yeah, but uh, uh, diver Ed um, uh, took us out of Northeast Harbor on the uh, Starfish Enterprise. Starfish Enterprise, nice boat. Oh man, uh, a unique craft. They um, had another one. We had them on Boat Talk years ago, and partly why we did was uh, their old uh, wooden boat went ashore yeah, in a the gale. Sail. Yeah, got off its mooring and. Uh, and a storm and uh, went ashore on Bar Island, I think, come, kind of come to pieces a little bit. And um, So they built another one. They got a, an H&H hull, and they modified that. And uh, Diver Ed's gig is kind of cool. He's over to Bar Harbor in the summertime, and he goes underwater with a camera and a microphone. And, and uh, so all the tourists, and especially kiddies up top, are uh, going to watch this on a big screen TV. But here's the, here's the problem how to get that big screen TV watchable out in the bright sunshine on the bay. Yes. Yeah. So he built a kind of a um, uh, an extra, um, oh, what would you call it? He, he uh, kind of domed up his, his uh, cabin top uh, after the wheel a little bit. Yeah, a planetarium kind of. Painted style. it, yeah. it's kind of planetarium ceiling in there a little bit. It doesn't look too bad on the outside because all the signage and, and stuff he's got pretty rugged uh, big wide boat but he he painted the inside of that black and mounted the uh big screen tv up uh you know out of your line of sight and it works actually we didn't have the dive red overboard in the tv but it's a pretty cool rig yeah and i uh, love to see him over to bar harbor uh i've sent a few tourists over there and they've all been just thrilled but i haven't seen it myself so mm. But a pretty cool boat and uh, just the nicest people. Yeah. Captain Evil, Ed and I don't know how she got that nickname. She ain't evil at <laughs> she all. She is a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is a call-in show, too, so I should throw that out for anybody who would like to uh, contribute anything. one 625 9378 is the call-in number. We'll get our friend uh, Andros on the phone in a minute. I want to mention real quick a couple of sinkings. In the uh, local area just recently, I oh, see yes. one in the paper uh, Always bad news. just from yesterday from down to Jonesport where a lobster boat uh, put out a May Day and, and another lobster boat came along and the Coast Guard are, are based in Jonesport so they weren't too far away in the 47-footer and put a pump aboard and his uh, 
shaft uh, seal was leaking, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the propeller goes out of the boat probably, and, and uh, everybody ended up well. But there was another one uh, last week where a charter boat out of Bar Harbor, the Tiger Shark, was coming from Bar Harbor around to southwest to the Hinkley Boatyard to be hauled out. And uh, this is an old wooden boat with a, a sort of a little house island in the middle, and it's meant for, uh, it's a head fishing boat for people to stand around the rail of the boat and jig deep sea fishing boat, mm-hmm. tourists, you know. And So anyway, I think it was Terry Lunt bringing it back around the corner there, and uh, he's off around uh, uh, Otter Cliffs and uh, Thunder Head there, Thunder Hole, and... Um, a wave hit the boat kind of sideways, he said. And all the bilge alarms go off. <laughs> and he's by himself. Uh-huh. And so he's got to leave the helm and, and open the, uh, the, you know, the hatch, the, the hatch bilge there, there yeah. and yeah, look down. Fairly heavy. And here comes the water. And I, I believe he didn't hesitate. He put out a mayday. Uh, another boat was coming by, and he barely got his feet wet. Hmm. Uh, the boat went adrift and a, and a wash. And came ashore just by Thunder Hole on the big tide with the big moon. Yeah, that's a rocky place to land, oh boy. too. And uh, this boat belongs to um, uh, Captain Steve Pagels. Uh, uh, his uh, whole fleet out of Bar Harbor. He charters a bunch of stuff. And he's also in the news. The boats have just been attached by the court in case of a, a judgment against him. He's uh, about to be tried for some misbehavior. So, mm. yeah. And again, uh, what do you do when the bilge alarms go off? You buy yourself, you buy yourself too. Yeah. Buy yourself too. And, yeah. and again, uh, let's fortunately, let, you're close to land. And, yeah. And he pointed her ashore and, and saved himself, basically, which was a smart thing to do because he wasn't. Apparently, what happened when the uh, uh, wave hit the boat sideways, a uh, plank popped loose of yeah. the old wooden boat. And again, you probably weren't going to fix that. So you might as well get ready to, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we do have uh, Andros on the telephone, so let's let's leave him no longer hanging. Yep. Andros Tipigoros, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, prefacing my segment with the thinking. You know? Well, <laughs> serious business, isn't it, bud? You know? <laughs> Just trying to whet people's appetites. You know, serious business. Uh, one of my favorite jokes with all these financial geniuses that run the world, uh, uh, delivered a lot of their boats, stayed in their summer houses, had cocktails with them, and... And I like to tell them, isn't it a good thing we don't go to sea in boats you guys design and build, you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, down to Rockland this morning. Tell us real quick what you're at. Uh, well, right now we're uh, doing a little job on a uh, schooner called the Rachel, what's well, called the Liberty Star now, was built as the Rachel B. Jackson. Uh, we're uh, doing a bunch of transom work, putting a new uh, rudder trunk in the boat, uh, splicing in some hood ends for some planking, uh, uh, some Basically, stuff like that. And hopefully, we'll be done around Thanksgiving. It's kind of what we're shooting for. The uh, right down here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Rachel B. Jackson, uh, again, a uh, schooner that's been around here for a while. It's been around the world. Uh, yep. it, uh Oh, I think went through some financial difficulties. Got new owners. You're uh, hopefully fixing it up for Coast Guard certification. Is that the whole idea? Yeah, she's owned by the uh, Liberty Fleet of Tall Ships, which is based in uh, Boston. And uh, they run another boat called the Liberty Clipper. And uh, the owner of the company bought the Rachel B. in, uh, I think it was 2012, and uh, got her fixed up. She was uh, hauled at uh, Front Street up in Belfast. And uh, they put a new deck on, did a bunch of work. And uh, he's been running it out of Boston in the summertime and taking it down the islands in the winter. And then uh, this year, basically, uh, due for a 
a little bit of work, so that's what we're doing. And uh, I think he's done taking it south. I think it'll just be out of Boston for the remainder of the time that he owns it anyway. Cool. Um, what's the difference replacing a, a plank or a, you know a tail feather on a dinghy or a or a big ass hundred foot odd schooner? You know, same same what? kind of same kind of job, just just bigger. Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's heavier. Um, but yeah, it's basically just bigger. You know, you still got to hold everything together and keep it from uh, coming apart. And uh, you know, you got to make nice patterns and you know fit everything about the same. It's just uh, it takes a little bit longer, and it's just uh, you know, just takes a little bit more muscle to get the piece up in there. Key to fitting odd shaped big pieces patterns. Yeah, you said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything is it's basically you're a pattern maker. Read a sign on a wooden boat. Uh, it was a wooden boat years ago of a Scottish boat shop, and uh, one of the services they offered was they gave queer fits. You know, is what they provided queer fits. Queer mm-hmm. fits. Queer fits. Oh. That's what a boat boat builder oh, does. Queer makes queer fits. fits you okay, know. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, thousands of pieces of wood, and each one of them is custom. So. Yeah. 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 Now, Andros, the reason we're talking to you this morning, I, I run into you down in Castine, and the uh, schooner Bowden belongs to the Maine Maritime Academy. Um, had a little problem with their main mast. Um, so tell us what the problem is and, and uh, you know, what's, what, what was the solution? Yeah, they uh, uh, basically they were, uh, they were down in uh, Pemaquid when uh, they, were, they were just sitting, on the, sitting at anchor. And uh, the captain of the boat, uh, Eric Jurgensen, noticed something, uh, a new check. Or a new, yeah, it was basically like a, a small crack in, in their... Uh, and their uh, foremast, and uh, went up and, and sounded the mast, and it didn't sound that great to him, so he gave me a call, and I met the boat in Booth Bay, and basically did the same thing. They put me to boat share, and they sent me about, uh, I think it was about 10 or 12 feet up from the deck, and uh, tapped around the mast, and it basically was just, uh, uh, you know, hollow sounding, um, and so I recommended they take the boat up to Castine and pull the mast out, don't set any sails, uh, and, you know, pull it out so we can actually have a look at it on the ground and that's what they did and basically we found that the whole basically the, the core of the mast had been you know basically rotten away um did you did you find that out by taking out core samples yeah we uh yeah basically we started sounding it and then in the worst section um basically we were able to yeah we made a couple of saw cuts knowing that you know, either we're going to end up splicing a piece in uh, or something like that. So we basically just, you know, made a couple of cuts and removed a section of the mast. And, uh, you know, basically it was, it was very obvious, you know, within the first, as soon as we started cutting out of the mast, that, you know, there was, it was going to be a pretty big problem. Mm. Um, and uh, the mast had been repaired, I think it was uh, 10 years ago. There was a close construct put in it uh, up around the cross trees area. Um, and, you know, given the age of, you know what was left and how much we'd have to re- be, would have to be removed. We decided that you know the best course of action basically just be to replace the whole thing, um, which is what we did. Now, the schooner Bowden is a historic vessel um, built uh, what early nineteen uh, twenty. Uh, yeah, it was in the twenties. It was yeah. built at a Hodgson down in East Bay. Yeah, and uh, Commander McMillan took it up. They surveyed the Arctic. They spent World War Two uh, on the Greenland Patrol. And yep. uh, it's got a lot of great history to it. It uh, now oh, it's uh, an lives, awesome boat. Yeah, lives down to the uh, uh, waterfront in Castine, inboard of the state of Maine uh, training vessel there at Maine Maritime Academy. Um, runs around with cadets and and does other cruises as well. Uh, 
a wonderful uh, professional uh, crew on the boat, Car Captain Eric Jorgensen, uh, oh, uh, mate JM, not sure about some of the other boys there, but an excellent uh, professional crew. So here's my point, not a boat, uh, hardly better loved or looked out for, and here we got a rotten old mast all of a sudden. Yep. You know? um, and again, it wasn't, I wouldn't say a failure of maintenance or, or uh, you know, nobody was... Uh, nope, it's just, you know, I mean, uh, water was getting in through one of the checks, and, uh, you know, I think it just slowly, uh, you know, just made its way down the mast, you know, down the pith of the tree, and, um, you know, it just, it just progressed over the years to the point where it finally, uh, you know, fortunately, it gave some warning signs that there was something wrong with it uh, before failing, and, uh, you know, uh, Eric's pretty diligent, you know, diligent guy, and he was uh, he noticed it in time to actually get it out of the boat and do something about it before yeah. uh, before something happened. Now that and again, so it used to be a tree that piece of wood, and, and that's correct. Yeah, yeah it was and, a solid piece. Yeah, in the middle of the tree uh, again had that uh, lurking. Uh, so anyway, what are we going to do to fix this? Uh, well, it's already fixed. It's in the boat. Yeah. It's uh, right. you know they've already been sailing on it, so um, you know so it works. Uh, we laminated a new piece. It was uh, we went back and forth. Uh, there's a guy out west that I uh, tend to buy Douglas fur from and, uh, you know, kind of discuss the options of uh, laminating a piece versus uh, getting a solid piece. Uh, and we were kind of under a little bit of a time constraint because they really uh, they had a couple of trips in August that they uh, didn't want to miss. So basically, the uh, there was no way that we were going to make the first two-week trip. It was uh, part of their curriculum program with, uh, with the cadets. And so we... Uh, we made it a goal to try to uh, to get it finished by the second program, which was uh, in mid August. In uh, mid August, uh, getting a tree of that size, it's uh, the mass is 70 feet, and it was a 12 inch diameter for the most of it, uh, with some tapering on the ends. Um, was uh, basically a crapshoot. Uh, and again, you want to know, you'd love to be able to X-ray that tree and know the middle of it has a golden heart and not some working, yep. uh, you know. Uh, cancer in the middle of the tree is going to come back on you in 20, 40 years. And yeah, you just don't know. So yeah. uh, the, it was, uh, there was some really nice air-dried wood uh, up in uh, Port Townsend uh, that uh, we were able to uh, get the mast out of, uh, some really beautiful old-growth uh, dug fir. And so uh, it really just worked out to have that stuff shipped out. Um, and it, it arrived in Castine, I think it was on uh, mid-July, like July 16th or so. And uh, we built a laminating bench and uh, scarfed everything together, edge glued, and made a. It took about ten days to make the blank, and then it took uh, about another two weeks to do the shaping, put the cross trees back on. Uh, we actually built all that stuff new: new cross trees, trestle trees, all the bolsters were new, and um, a new, uh, you know, tendon in the heel and all that. So sounds easy. That. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Pilot, let's go back to that pile of Douglas fir. Um, you, you again, buying that from somebody you trust, uh, gets out here. Uh, that was a nice pile of boards, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was a beautiful pile of boards. You know, was, uh, everything was uh, clear vertical grain, uh, less than 1 in 10 run out. Uh, Did you say there was like were... two knots in the pile? Yeah, something like that. It was. I think, I think we ended up uh, with a half a knot like down towards uh, where the table is, and then there was like another small knot up uh, uh, at the masthead somewhere, like below the below the mast cap. There was like another little knot in there somewhere, but that was about it. Yeah. Like so I say, nice, nice stuff to start with. Yeah. When you say one in ten run out, you mean the uh, 
looking at the grain of the wood, it, there's a right. s- slope of the grain is 1 in 10? Okay. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Now, how are we going to glue this together? And Is it hollow or solid? Uh, it's solid. It's basically a stacked lamination. Um, we had to do so. We, based on the material that we had, we, I came up with a, a stagger pattern for the individual layers. And then, uh, so we, you know, the first step was we uh, edge glued everything together that needed to be edge glued. Then it was a matter of uh, cutting all the scarves in for the individual pieces that made up each layer and then uh, stacking them to form the, to form the piece. So all the pieces before they're stacked up, they're all basically end, end glued scarf, 70, they're all 70 feet long? Before uh, all... Edge glued. Uh, we, the, the mass was 12 inches, so in order to get the 12 inches uh, within the, each individual layer, you know, we had to uh, glue two, you know, glue two pieces together to get out to uh, 14 inches. So there was a little bit of extra to cut off on either side of the mass when we were done. What kind of glue we use in Andros? Uh, we used West Systems. And lots of West it. Systems. Yeah, lots of it. West Systems Epoxy. I think we went through about 13 gallons of, uh, we went through two, two, uh, two, two five-gallon kits and then like a partial five-gallon kit of West Systems. Uh, hmm. How do we uh, not use too much very expensive epoxy on a massive glue-up like that? That's a bit of an art uh, in itself. When the when you're using epoxy, nobody stops, right? Yeah, we we tried to do it in such a way that we never had too much open glue at any given time. Uh, so, you know, sort of you're you're progressing in such a way that you know you have time to work, um, and so you know you can kind of start at one end and glue you know glue a piece on, get it clamped. Uh, the scarf is facing upward, so then it's very easy to just apply the next piece and keep moving. So. You know, it extends your working time, um, and you can just sort of, like, work down the mass. And basically, we were able to do one layer uh, per day was sort of the schedule. So we'd glue, you know, come in, glue one layer, uh, cut the scarves for the next layer, do all the processing, and uh, and then the next day come in, uh, take all the clamps off, dress up anything that needed to be dressed up, sand everything, and then uh, glue the next layer. So how many were in your crew while you are doing this? There was, uh, I had two of my guys, two guys were up there uh, doing the lamination. Uh, I went up in the beginning. I was in the middle of something else at the time when this happened. So uh, I had, there was two guys up there that uh, did the gluing. I was up there for the beginning part um, to sort of get everything set up. And then I went up and uh, lent a hand uh, just to kind of get us caught up. Uh, some of the pieces, some of the parts took a little bit longer than we expected. And then I went up when the lamination was done and uh, started shaping it and was there through the end of the, through the mass being stepped. Big, beautiful boat shed at Maine Maritime Academy. You've built a, uh, a bench that's like, say, uh, a place to lay this thing up flat, uh, 80, 90 feet long and, and yep. uh, gluing, gluing, gluing. Um, we get a uh, solid big hunk of square wood here and now we've got to uh, whittle away all the pieces that aren't round that, you know, uh, that's a bit of a trick too, isn't it? Yep. Uh, basically, you know, you work off a center line. So, you know, when the piece was, uh, laminated, uh, I struck a center line down the uh, face that was facing up and drew out the shape of the mast on it and connected all the dots with battens and, uh, made a series of cuts and I was able to make it with, uh, my big beam saw down to about, you know, down to just past the halfway point. It's like a mega um, skill saw. Yeah, 16-inch uh, beam saw. I'm to make them. Yeah. And uh, then I was I flipped the mast over and basically repeated the same process and was able to remove, uh, you know, two sides of the mast, you know, 
the two pieces. Uh, and then again, you know, turn the piece 90 degrees, repeat the same, you know, clean everything up, clean your saw, you know, come down your lines, square the piece up, um, repeat the same process with the layout, roll it 180 degrees, do it again, uh, clean that up, and now you have a square tapered mass. So you have all of your shape has been cut into the mass, and you have a square piece. And then from there, it's just a matter of eight-siding it and 16-siding it, then 32-siding it, and then making it round. You eight-sided it with the uh, with the big skill saw too. Did they what? Yeah, put it on forty. Uh, I actually use the Yeah, I used a smaller skill saw and uh, made two, made a cut from either side of the. Put a smaller skill saw to huh. forty-five degrees. You made a cut from either side and you know, the line. Is there anybody who ever's made a, a video of you doing this? Uh you know, I don't know. There was a bunch of people that were in an auto place while I was working. Huh. It'd be interesting it's to watch. Day. I don't know. I mean, there might be a video. I don't know. Was cool to watch. I I, while you were uh, siding it down, I want you know, I, I, uh, my patience was less than yours. I'm going, hey, start rounding, you know. But uh, you got to respect yeah. the geometry and and carefully uh, procedure there. Get you, get you the shape you want. So yeah, the bigger uh, the, the, the bigger it is, the more sides you want to put on it. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it makes making the round bit easier. So. Yeah, they all give me my ads, you know, and uh, here, hold my beer, straddle that. Yeah, exactly right. So anyway, um, and then we got to get it all smooth now. Uh, tell us what you sealed that with. I was fairly impressed by that too. Uh, we sealed it with uh, the lower the heel, the last like I don't know. I think it was like two feet of it. Uh, basically, we just flushed it with uh, pine tar uh, and dealt with some linseed oil. Uh, then there was a section above that that was. Uh, that basically went through the deck, the bit that you see in the engine room, and then I think there was only a couple feet above the deck before the table. Uh, that was varnished. And then from the table up, basically, with a with a, uh, with a throat travel, um, it was uh, it was basically just uh, linseed oil and turpentine, uh, you know, just uh, basically just poured on there. And uh, then the upper half, or the upper bit where the uh, above the cross trees again that was varnished, and then the cross trees and trestle trees they uh, they uh, pine tar with uh, with some gap dryer in it. Um, but then the middle bit uh, where the jaws travel, uh, that actually they flush that with I think it's uh, Vaseline and linseed oil. There we go. That's what I'd never heard of uh, Vaseline and linseed oil. Hmm. Yeah, you know, some people use Vaseline. Some boats, I know, use Crisco. Uh, you know, basically some kind of lubricant to, to help those jaws go up and down. I guess it would. Yeah, and again, uh, thank God we have the professional crew that can mop the drippings off our uh, immaculate teak deck every morning. You know. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, we're talking traditional. On a boat like the boat, and you want that? You want that? You want those drippings on there? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Martha Stewart can't uh, fake those drippings. Yeah. That patina. That's right, because it is a traditional old working schooner. And uh, so yeah. the very butt of your mast um, seems like wooden mast almost always are standing in, in water in reality. Yep. Um, you have any special uh, treatment you do for the for the very end? Uh, I'm a big fan of just putting pine tar on them. It's uh, antiseptic. Uh, you know, it's a preservative. Things last a long time in it. It's very easy to reapply. It's, uh, you know, relatively environmentally safe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not a big deal if it's in your build. Um you know, it allows the mass to breathe. I'm not a big fan of putting, you know, like sealing the end with epoxy or anything like that. Right. To, I think that tends to create its own problems. Mm -hmm. So, do you heat it up or anything to let it soak into the end grain? Nope. You just 
keep putting it on, you know, I mean, while the mass was sitting there and we were shaping the, uh, putting the cross trees and trestle trees on and all that, all that business, uh, Basically, you know, you just kind of come in in the morning and put some on there. And then as you kind of notice dry spots on there, you just, you know, have the bucket of mm, the bucket so of tar right there. It's and naturally just, soaking know. up then. Yeah, every time somebody walks by, you know, just grab the paintbrush and put them on there. Yeah. Andros, uh, tell us the name of your company. Uh, it's Andros Key Regora Shipbuilding. Yeah. Um, obviously, you do this for a living. And, and again, yeah. uh, a lot of traditional uh, vessels now. We're speaking of the West System epoxy there that wasn't around when they built the Bowden. Um, how do you feel about using modern stuff on traditional boats? You know, you got your limits. Any? Uh... Uh, well, obviously, we try to use it as little as possible, just because it's uh, you know, I mean, the whole reason that we work on the wooden on the traditional wooden boats is uh, to not use that stuff. Um, but you know, the, the lumber that's available these days it's much scarcer. You know, it's a lot harder to find solid pieces uh, that you can make this stuff out of, especially on short notice. I mean, a boat that, you know, they're sort of like planning on replacing the mast in a couple of years. You can, you know, go out in the woods and you can start looking and you can find a piece and, you know, do everything, you know, let it air dry for a while, let it season before shaping and all that. But, you know, more often than not, you just sort of end up in the situation where you kind of needed it yesterday. So, you know trying to find just boards that are the right uh, the right quality that you're looking for and gluing it together is, you know, I think it's a viable alternative. So, you know, use it when you have to, but, you know, you're trying to avoid it as much as we can. I guess I'm not uh, advocating we put a carbon fiber mast in Bowdoin, although that would have been kind of cool, you know. Um, yeah, well, somebody else would have done it. You know, I wouldn't have done that. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the PBS, there's a very good documentary playing right now on the uh, renovation of the yacht Kangara, which was a big uh, 100-and-something-foot steam yacht they rebuilt yep. in California. It took them a couple of years. And it uh, might have been the guy who was laying the teak deck. He says, uh, well, this is what we're using, this uh, fancy modern uh, rubber uh, compound in the seams here. He says the old fellas would have used that. Except for they didn't have it, he says, you know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and yeah, again, we got to take advantage you know, of. I mean, definitely some te- I mean it's, you know, there's definitely some techniques that are, uh, they're better to preserve it. It's better to put it together that way because, yeah. you know, I mean, you have to take stuff apart at some point. And, you know, if you've got stuff that's put together with glue and, uh, and you know, adhesive rubber and all that, it's, it just makes it, it just makes your hard, your job that much harder to, to replace it or to fix it later. Um you know, we like using like dolphinite bedding compounds and paint, yeah. um, and try to stay away from the, you know, from rubber and, and any kind of adhesive as much as possible. Yeah, and a good point there. A traditional wooden boat uh, comes apart. Yep. And you can put it back together again. So Rachel B. Jackson, uh, now called what Liberty Star or something like that. Yeah, Liberty Star. We're yeah. right um, right on the road here at Journey's End. So right. you know. I remember seeing the Rachel B. Jackson. Um, just before she was sold, and there was a uh, a scarf put into one of the masts. Is that still there, or is there a whole new uh, mast? I think that mast was the mast that was built a couple of years ago. I think it was the main mast. Looking at it right now, so yeah, it was the main mast. Um, and I think that was the one with the scarf in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a little. That was a pretty big scarf. <laughs> and uh, yeah. 
So um, this is it. This is what we're doing for now, and uh, I don't know what's coming up next, but there's something to turn up. Well, and we do have, uh, you know, a whole fleet of these vessels on the coast of Maine. Uh, so a lot of the schooners, I guess, are, uh, you know, in the process of changing hands nowadays. And, um, you know, people like you have got to be out there to do that work. How does anybody get a hold of you for uh, uh, ship fitting or other, uh, you know, possibly even finer boat building, Andrew? Well, I guess probably the best way to get a hold of me would be if you just called. Um, otherwise, uh, I had a website for a little while, and... Uh, I think if you go to my website now, you get the uh, beautiful 404 message because I never uh, re-upped it. Mm. And it was pretty bad anyway. There wasn't very much information on it. Uh, but I am on Facebook. Uh, honestly, we're going to shipbuilding at Facebook for those with Facebook. And uh, I do have an email address and a telephone number, which... Um, give them out, well, just give, give them out. All right. Oh, uh, the email address spell, is... Uh, spell AK- Tipagoros. Say that again? Spell, spell the last name. It's uh, K-Y-P-R-A... Yeah. And uh, the email address is uh, akshipbuilding at gmail.com. And my phone number is 207-522-7348. Just because, uh, and I'm speaking to myself now, a brilliant boat builder doesn't mean you're much of a webmaster or an accountant or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so many facets to being in business, but again, where we do what we do because we're good at what we do, but it doesn't make you good at a lot of the other things uh, that need yeah. to be done. Uh, again, yeah, I mean, uh, I try and I hired somebody to do the website thing and everything, and you know, I just uh, I don't know, I, I just kind of lost. I was supposed to give them some a write up about things that I do and all that kind of stuff, and I just never got around to it. So I just sort of sat there for a couple of years with. Some pretty bad, you know, I don't know if they were bad pictures, but just some sort of like non-sequitur pictures of various boats that I'd worked on at various stages of construction, and that was about it. There was no contact info on it or anything like that. And so when it came time to re-up my license or lease or whatever it is, I just never bothered. Well, and as you said, you're not quite sure what's next after the schooner right now, but... Uh this work happens because you're out there doing it and somebody yep. wanders along and, and sees you doing it as opposed to trolling the internet, you know, and yep. uh, uh, not so much. Well, actually, in, I do know what's business. after this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know why I said that, but uh, yeah. I've got a, I've got a 33 foot crocker in my yard that uh, belongs to a good friend of mine. And uh, we started working on it. Actually pulled a stem out this spring or this off uh, late summer. And so as soon as I'm done with this, that's what I'll be doing is, uh, is putting that stem back in and, uh, Replacing for some plank menus to be done and a few other things. When we uh, stood the mast up on the boat, and uh, did you get to uh, stand on the deck when they hoisted the sail and let her go? Uh, nope. They basically they picked a, they hauled the uh, mast out of the shed where we were working, which is their big boat bay. Uh, they picked the mast up with their travel lift and they took it outside. Uh, the crane uh, was there, picked the mast up. I was done in the engine room when it was stepped. And basically, as soon as the mast was stepped, uh, the crew was like a bunch of rats screwing around, hooking up the rigging, and you know, starting to get everything set up. And I think uh, I was I was out of there about a half hour hour later, so I didn't I didn't go sailing on it or anything like that. I didn't see it with all the sails on. But well, Andros, I'll freely admit, uh, I'll probably brag about it. I think I'm the reason I'm a boat builder because I like to go for boat rides. You know, how about you? <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I've been on some day sales. I go on, I go on boat rides, but you know, it's, uh, I like them better when they're out of the water. And you got a family at home too to take care of every night. 
Um, I met so. your uh, met your wife. Uh, was getting an ice cream cone down at Castine Waterfront there, and uh, her and your young boy. He was smushing an ice cream cone into his face and grabbing for mine, and I chatted her up, and that's when we uh, went over and uh, watched you building the mast for a little while. So yeah, uh, nice nice uh, nice little family there, man. So Andrew, oh, thank you. How, how would the uh, the weight of the mast that you made compare to the weight of a, a single tree mast? Uh, the laminated versus a single tree? Yeah. Would you close uh, to the same? No, I guess it would weigh a little bit more because of the glue, but I, it's pretty uh, it's pretty insignificant. Mm-hmm. And uh, engineering, I would just instinctively say a stronger structure, just standing even without the wires that hold it up. Yep, I think yeah, you do get a little bit more strength out of a laminated yeah. mass than you would the solid piece. Uh, you know, the material for the laminated mass is more likely to be air dried. Uh, so, and then once it's all glued together, you know, it's not going to be drying on you. So you, you tend to get, you don't get, uh, you know, the solid piece. Uh, sometimes you get some twisting as the mass dries. You get those long, che- you know, yeah, those long vertical checks, checks that happen um, as it dries out as well. You don't get that so much with uh, with a laminated. Laminated mass, and again, it's laminated, so we know that there's not a funky bit of heart rot lurking in right. the middle of it. You know exactly and, what you put into that. And as yeah, I like thanks. to say, if you shed water like a duck, you live a very happy life. If you absorb water, you'll die an ugly, rotten death. And it's all about yeah, shedding water after that. And, yeah, and again, we true. painted some of it with linseed and Vaseline. So there, I wouldn't hug that yeah. part, but uh, good job. Yeah, they put it on. They send somebody up. I don't know if it's every week or so, but uh, pretty frequently, if somebody goes up there and. You know, I think they dip the whole. I think they the whole guy in the in the bucket, and they just run him up and down the mast a couple of times. Oh, and again, they have a uh, very capable professional crew there now. I believe I heard this as well. The Bowden uh, um, goes out every afternoon. I believe around four o'clock takes cadets out. And I was told that if you were standing on the dock around four o'clock, you'd go for a ride too. And you might want to check that out. How's that for a little boat talk secret? Mm-hmm. Uh, might be sharing about Maine Maritime boating down to Castine Waterfront. So she's hard to miss when you're down there. And, again, they're yep. pretty friendly folks to start off with. I'd recommend walking around. Also, if you're down to Maine Maritime Academy, they have uh, up in the administration building uh, pictures on the walls like wallpaper. It's uh, quite a little museum there of Bowdoin history, uh, historic pictures and stuff in glass cases. And pretty cool. Uh, check that stuff out anyway. Uh, Maine Maritime, Bowden, and we talked to Andros Kipagoros this morning. Andros Kipagoros Shipbuilding, and, and yeah. again, made a new mast for the traditional schooner Bowden. Nice job. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andros. Now, we're burning daylight. We got rain coming. Let's get back underneath that schooner. Uh, what, are we, what are we at right now? Uh, right now, I'm, uh, I've got the rudder trunk in there all dry fit, and we're going to uh, pop the rudder in and sort of uh, put the new rudder shaft in and sort of uh, string her back and forth and make sure that everything lines up right. And then uh, once that's done, we'll take the rudder back out, and I'll bolt it in place permanently and then start uh, ripping those tail feathers out. Do we have, like, forklift, a little crane or anything, or do we just manhandle yeah, yeah, all this stuff? Forklift. Yeah, so we'll, yeah, we'll use as much hydraulic as we can. You have to dig a hole to drop the rudder down in in order to get the shaft up through? Nope. Nope. We were able to just pick it straight up. Oh. So and again, the old uh, North End Railway. Uh, Journey's End. Yeah. Journey's End. Yeah. And again, a great marine railway is a wonderful thing, especially when you got a big old boat. Yeah, actually, they hauled us with a travel. Journey's End is a travel left. Uh, oh, you, all right. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got a 75 metric ton travel. I think it's 75 ton travel left here. 
So, well, we're just, the, yeah, uh, we're just we're just sitting on flat pavement. Yeah, like say, burning daylight, man. Get back underneath her, and and oh, uh, thanks for I talking will. to us this morning on Boat Talk. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, All right. thank you, Andrews. Thank you. Bye, bye. Yeah. And again, I was uh, down the waterfront in Castine this summer, and you look over, and and all of a sudden, Bowden doesn't look like a schooner. She looks like a cat boat. They took out the mainmast and and uh, <laughs> dug out this uh, uh, crater of rot in the middle of the mast. That uh, again, it just sort of rotted from the middle out. Well, uh, and wood you might have got into it and threw a check. Yeah. Either way, yeah. Yeah, I tend to think possibly it, inside, it had some uh, inherent uh, rot in, in, like, say, in the pith of the tree. Mm-hmm. And, again, uh, you can't trust that old damn wood, but mm-hmm. it is wonderful stuff, perfectly yeah. engineered. and, and Biodegradable, isn't it? one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number into Boat Talk. We have a caller on the line. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo oh. in Tremont. Good morning, Yo, Joe. good morning. I had a couple of comments to make about the loss of the tiger shark. It seemed a little strange to me that a seaworthy vessel would pop a plank by being struck by the kind of seas you'd encounter off Otter Cliff. I spoke to a builder who knew the vessel, and he pointed out that her COI was current. The uh, other certificate of inspection. Uh, it's a Coast Guard inspected boat because it hauls passengers. That's correct. Yep. So the other thing that struck me about her was the similarity with the loss of the bounty. Huh. And that is the increasingly prevalent practice of operating heavy vessels undermanned. There was only one fella on that boat, which is, you know, you've got to be pretty good to do everything you need to do and safely, uh, you know, still taking a risk to be one man on the boat. But The other comment I had was about masts. 200 years ago, the largest sailing warships used laminated masts because even the largest trees were not sufficient for the main What mast. did they glue them up with? They didn't have glue, but they were built like barrels, and they were yeah, held yeah. together by bands All and right. hoops and that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Hold on for a second, yo, please. Uh, let's go back to Coast Guard inspected via, uh, vessel. Um I'd have two little points on that. Well, we don't need, I, I don't think we can assume that it was a, um, uh, a, a fit vessel. And again, the idea is that it was uh, traveling and a wave hit it kind of sideways. Sometimes the waves come along regular and sometimes one will smuck you up from a strange direction and, and really literally whack the boat. And uh, again, then it started leaking, uh, possibly popped a plank off. I have um, been around a lot of uh, Coast Guard uh, uh, people inspecting wooden boats. Haven't been too impressed with uh, most of them. Don't know all that much about wooden boats, honestly. <laughs> and here's the other thing. I also um, surveyed, this is years ago now, I surveyed a um, Chesapeake Bug-Eye catch that was uh, here locally, and I condemned it basically. as this boat's not worth fixing up. Absolutely not. And uh, bug eye, Chesapeake catch, kind of low and curvy, has rake mass, looks sexy just sitting there, you know, and you want to, but, oh, man, it was rotten. And uh, the fellow who uh, now owns Tiger Shark bought that boat and uh, in about two weeks had it all looking just as good as it could look. We stopped by before they launched it, and uh, when nobody was looking, went around and whacked it with hammers, and they put a lot of Bondo to it, so, you know, mm-hmm. and that passed Coast Guard inspection. 
Yeah, I wouldn't have fixed it. I've up. seen some Bondo boats too. Yeah. So anyway, uh, again, uh, you know, and and I'm sure it ha- happily hauled passengers for a good long time, and no grief came to it. But but again, we can't uh, over assume too much integrity of that old wooden boat. So that's what I would say. Um, so anyway, that would be about the size of it. Um, fellow's on trial for uh, some misbehavior, and his boats are being attached by the government. Uh, I wonder what they're going to make of that one again. It now needs to be salvaged. I don't know if it's still on the shore or not. Haven't seen, but it went very high up, on a very high tide. Yeah. I I can believe a wave a wave whacking a, a plank. Oh jeez, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've pulled out some fasteners where, typically, there's just a, a very little material left of the fastener where the plank meets the rib, and you can imagine if you have a, a butt end somewhere in the middle of your ship and a wave hits it just right that the, one of those ends would could easily pop off if those fasteners are worn that thin let's think our ship is going with the flow we're in the train of waves but here comes a rogue uh, so to speak wave and it slaps us sideways okay now this wave is made out of water which weighs what eight pounds a gallon okay and how many gallons just hit us how many mm. pounds just whack the boat. It's a pretty good... Uh, we have a, a phone call. Yeah, so. but uh, like I say, it's pretty considerable force that yeah. a wave can, can deliver. Yes. Well, let's go to that phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. I've got a question for you in regards to the uh, boat going down and everything and a comment Mike made about when you're single-handing and you can't get down into the hold and get your bill pumps going and everything. How many boats out there do you think have on their raw water feed for their engines uh, a Y-valve put in with a a valve that will run right down to your bilge? So instead of uh, pumping water out from the exterior of the boat, if you have a problem, you can jump down there right in front of your strainer, hit the valve. That's going to instantly start taking more water out of the bilge. Is that a common thing or not? Or It it sounds like it would be a pretty good uh, safety precaution. Not sure. We need Giffy Full here this morning, our uh, old Marine Surveyor buddy, obviously. Um, I couldn't tell you, Howard, honestly. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice rig. I've seen uh, it before, uh, yeah. and it seems like I don't know how much uh, gallons per hour or minute that that uh, freshwater or raw water pump is going to pull out of your bilge, but it's a damn nice precaution. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Allowing uh, you don't have enough scared men with enough buckets, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I have seen those rigs too, and yeah. uh, they do work. Actually, you'd be surprised how little water your engine really, uh, unless it's a really large engine, uh, yep. really sucks up. And plus, uh, you have to worry about um, sucking strange things into your intake of those things. So they usually, typically, don't have a, a strainer or anything yep. on them. Strange things that have been living in the bilge. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that was just my comment. Thank well, you very much, no. gentlemen. Nice to have you on the air. Better to have it than not in a situation like that. Oh, and uh, when to, uh, uh, you know, keep fussing, try to, where's the water coming from, what can we do about it, and when to uh, cross the line and go, nope, we're getting off of this boat. Mm-hmm. Time <laughs> we're to leave. calling for help and getting off of her. And, again, uh, that kind of fascinates me as a professional. I've never been on a sinking boat, but I've been, you know, uh, concerned a couple of times, so there. All right. Well, hey, we are doing call. boat talk this morning, and uh, uh, telephone's still open here. Well, well uh, we have one phone call, but the yeah. number is one eight six 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 two five nine three. If you want to get on deck, good morning. Welcome to boat talk. I got a little comment about laminated masks and stuff. Sure. Okay. About twenty some years ago, when I was teaching firefighting for the Navy, we had a day off and went all the way up to Boston. 
on board the USS Constitution while she was in dry dock for a reenlistment. And one of the things I got to witness, all well, this whole crew there, <clears throat> when they were rebuilding one of the masts in sections, and one of the reasons why it was done back then was also if you get hit with a cannon shot and have to repair battle damage while you're underway, you only have to repair a section of the mast. Good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if too many people knew that or not, but it was just amazing watching the people rebuild this. And it's a traditional modular concept. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that makes sense. Good one. Hey, I appreciate have that. <laughs> hey, guys, have a good one. All thank right, you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That was a little uh, blast from the past, as it were. Yeah. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We got a few minutes left in boat talk. We uh, we're hopefully going to talk to uh, one of the John Berglunds. There's a couple of them, as a matter of fact, father and son, but. Um, young John was on the boat talk cruise with his dad and uh, lobster fishes out of Tenants Harbor. He got curious and put a GoPro camera in one of his lobster traps. And wait till we're going to talk to him, uh, hopefully coming up in the future. We were hoping to inform him this morning, but he's got to be pulling traps today. Yeah. Now, uh, he was shocked, 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 shocked with what the GoPro camera showed him. Basically, um, in uh, the short time that uh, the camera and the trap were down there, about 20 uh, lobsters, about one a minute, uh, basically attacked the uh, trap, you know, and fought over the bait. And uh, uh, as he showed that to another lobsterman, their reaction was, was identical. It's like, we gotta, we got to design a better trap. Mm-hmm. But they also have come to believe that it's an aquaculture scheme, lobster fishing in the state of Maine. They recycle so much bait into the bay and give it to those lobsters who flock to a trap, baited trap, when it hits the bottom. They fight over the bait, and then uh, when you pick it up, uh, after all the lobsters that have come and gone, there may be one or two left, some crabs, a couple urchins, whatever. But uh, again, it makes you wonder why they don't jig them or make a trap that lobsters can't escape out of. But the fishery is in balance, so hey, Mm -hmm. you know, it's working and supporting a lot of people on a long-term basis, and and maybe we don't want an efficient trap. Isn't yeah. that interesting? It would make it, uh, seems like some of, the, some of the fishermen might be uh, interested in just coming back and pulling some traps after only an hour or so and see if it makes any difference. And again, um, uh, more efficiency um, might lead to uh, short-term profits, but <sighs> not long-term stability, yeah. Isn't, yeah. you know? And there's a model for America nowadays, possibly. I'm just saying it's a boat show. We can't talk politics <laughs> or nothing, <laughs> So there, and uh, as long as we're in the last, uh, uh, nobody's on the phone here, uh, I'll uh, share a book with you here. This one, What Me Upside the Head, it is a novel called Vacation Land, Nat Goodale, and uh, Nat's whole name is Nathaniel Bowditch Goodale, uh, currently living down in Ecuador, but formerly a resident of Waldo County, a registered uh, licensed boat captain, uh, plane pilot, and uh, truck driver, among other things. All at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> and he's written this uh, book, Vacation Land, a novel. The uh, subtitle is Man Plans and God Laughs. <laughs> and from the uh, blurb on the back of the boat, it says, Donnie Coombs is a fifth-generation Maine lobsterman, and he's getting tired of being pushed around. His new neighbors from away are on a crusade to save Maine from Mainers. His girlfriend's upper-class father is bent on killing their relationship, and an Isleboro lobsterman covets Donnie's territory, and he isn't getting the messages to back off. 
ugly undercurrents and spring-tight tensions lie beneath the pristine surface of white caps on blue bays and schooner sails on the horizon. Um, the hostilities come to a boil, and the results are not pretty. Welcome aboard, mm. vacation land. <laughs> and I must say, this uh, uh, novel, again, Nat Goodale, Goodale uh, 2013, uh, uh, there'll be a press here, but locally available, I would think. Uh, highly recommend it. Now, it's excellently done. He knows a lot about the lobster fishery, and he takes pains, basically, to tell you every detail about the lobster fishery, and that... that uh, is not all that, uh, uh, it doesn't flow all that well sometimes when you're telling a story to mm. put all that uh, information in there. Mm. Um, but the uh, opening chapter just exquisitely done, the boat uh, going ashore by itself, and, and uh, uh, some of this is just so spot on. I mean, laugh out loud. Um, and then there's a couple of flat notes in there every once in a while. It's almost perfect, but it's extraordinarily well done. Um, but, but again, land. not quite a hmm. uh, uh, perfect classic, but it's called Vacation Land. And that good oil, yeah. good ale, a uh, story about a lobsterman down to uh, Lincolnville, you know, fussing with his neighbors and the other boys. So, yeah, highly yeah. recommended. Well, I have one thing in the, in the coming up department. And um, actually, this probably should be more in your department because it's centered around Castine, where I know you uh, often do work. And, um, but... I'm going to scoop you on this one. The uh, the frigate Hermione, which was uh, Lafayette's ship, remember Lafayette, who uh, came over here during the Revolutionary War times and uh, raised some trouble with the British. Um, he's quite the sailor. Um, his boat Hermione, is, they're making a replica in France. It's been 15 years yep. making this replica. <laughs> yeah. More boat dreamers. Nice looking boat, though. It's More been, boat dreamers. French, you know. Yeah, yeah. What can you say? Yeah, it's definitely uh, very well detailed, um, judging from the pictures. It's in France now, but it's going to sail across next year down to uh, over to Washington or to New York City and then work its way up to coast. Um, to Castine. So it's going to be landing in Castine on Tuesday, July 14th, Bastille Day. Next summer. Yeah, next summer. Oh, so not we'll, miss we'll, that. Have to, we'll have to make a trip down and uh, check this one out. I but imagine I, it will stand out a bit in the harbor. So, yeah, castinehistoricalsociety.org is the website to get some more information on, on this boat coming there then. Nice. And of course, Castine uh, just drenched in history down there. Um, they. Uh, uh, call it four flags because the Dutch, the English, the uh, Americans, and the French have all fought over the place at one time or another. Everybody's been in, in control. And, yeah, that's only um, because the Native Americans didn't have a flag originally. Well, um, <laughs> no, well, and the Native Americans, there's a story of uh, Mohawks coming down from upper New York State and uh, uh, descending on an encampment of Castine and doing those people great harm. And, and you wonder, you say, well, man, that's a bad ro drive down the old road. And, of course, they didn't come down the old road. They come by water. They yeah. come down the river, you know. It's a very interesting entrance to Castine. Yeah, River. but they, it's French in history. And, of course, uh, um, the uh, greatest uh, naval debacle in American history happened there in 1779, uh, greatest one up until Pearl Harbor anyway. We lost, like, 28 chartered vessels that were chartered to the state of Massachusetts trying to take Castine back from the British and established a base for loyalists uh, down there at the time. And 
Paul Revere was along, cashiered for cowardice in the face of the enemy and all. Again, some good history that's uh, not bragged up in American schools. Don't even tell that story with the Alamo or, no, or uh, yeah. Custer's <laughs> Last Stand or anything, but it's got some great details in it. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, check that out. And a lot of different ways. There's a book on that, too. Uh, we interviewed um, a couple of years back uh, Bernard Cornwell, the uh, English novelist, uh, now living in Cape Cod. And he wrote a novel called The Fort, mm -hmm. which is the story of that uh, American expedition in 1779. That's widely available at bookstores, yep. too. Our own uh, John Goodman made a video uh, of the... Uh, Revolutionary War. I guess you call it a war, <laughs> a, a battle and run in Castine. Remember the the uh, taking of the fort there. Yeah, and again, uh, uh, you got to uh, mind your history, and and it's so fun to try to imagine these things sometime. To mind your history doesn't seem to be sinking in very well, does it? Uh, what are you saying? Oh uh, yeah, we're getting into politics again. Yeah. So anyway, and again, uh, you got to mind your. Uh, uh, you got to mind your water integrity. How's that for keeping it simple, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, only go to sea in solid boats and uh, do seaman-like things, and you never get in trouble. No way you'll still get in trouble because, uh, the uh, again, sea will hand it to you every every once in a while anyway just to keep you humble. And Apparently we're running out of the yep. end of boat talk. Time for us to go off for some other trouble now and make yep. room for Rich Hill Singer coming up next with... Uh, on the wing here on Boat Talk or on WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on the web at WERU.org. Thanks to Joel Mann for uh, running down in the engine room today. Till next week, happy sails. Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers.